On the other side of the world, a tsunami hits. Tens of thousands of people die, many of them swept out to sea, never to be seen again. And as the survivors are left dealing with the death, the disease, the starvation, they look up into the sky and they ask why. In another country, a a village is attacked. And everyone in the village is put to death because of what they believe, because of who they are. And in another village, family members look up to the sky and and they ask, why? A man gets up in the morning and heads off to work. And when he gets there, before he is even able to clock in, he's given notice that he no longer has a job, the product of corporate downsizing. And as he is driving home, trying to figure out how he is going to provide for his family, he asks, why? A mom and dad are sitting beside a hospital bed of their their young child. The child has been diagnosed with a disease that, that could be terminal. And as they sit there in shock trying to figure out what the next step is, they look up to heaven and they ask that question, why? That's a question that we often ask when bad things happen, when, when unexpected things happen. But this morning, I want us to look at someone who asked that question that none of us in this room would ever expect would ask that question. Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. And he had been on that cross now for three hours. And in those three hours, he uttered three statements. The first statement had to do with forgiveness. He cried out, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. He was praying, Father, forgive those who had unjustly accused him. Father, forgive those who had who had condemned him to death unjustly. He prayed, Father, forgive them to those who had beaten him and whipped him. He prayed, Father, forgive them to those who had gambled for his clothes. Father, forgive them to those who had mocked him and made fun of him. But he wasn't just saying that for those people that were around the cross. He was saying that for each and every one of us because each and every one of us are guilty of of nailing him to that cross. And over and over and over, Jesus cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them. His next words were to a repentant thief who asked God for mercy. And Jesus gave him mercy. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And this shows us that whoever we are, whatever we have done, If we will confess our sin, acknowledge our guilt, and cry out to Jesus asking for his help, he will hear us, he will forgive us, he will save us, and he'll give us eternal life. The third words that Jesus uttered from the cross were to his mother and to his his best friend, John. He said to his mother, behold, your son. And to John, he said, behold, Your mother, and even there on the cross, he was letting us know that he was caring for, 
his mother. He was making sure that her needs would be met. But he not only was telling us that we have a responsibility to our blood family, in doing that, he was showing us that when we become a part of the family of God, our family is extended. And we have a responsibility to care for anyone and everyone who was a part of our extended family, the family of God. But after hanging on that cross for three hours in pain and in agony, something happened that changed everything. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, and we're going to look at verses 45 and 46. This statement it is found both in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. It is the only statement from the cross that is found in more than one gospel. Matthew 27, verse, verse 45. Listen to what it says. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachnathai which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me at noon? When the sun was at its highest, when the sun was at its brightest, complete and utter darkness covered the land. It happened so suddenly that, that no one expected it. One moment, the sun was overhead, and the next moment, it had completely disappeared. This wasn't an eclipse. This wasn't a dark cloud. This was more than that. It was darkness without any hint of light. And for three hours, most likely, no one moved. No one uttered a word. For three hours, this eerie darkness, a darkness that was, was so thick that you could almost feel it, covered everything. It was as if evil itself had come down and, and covered that hill. Throughout the Bible, we see that darkness is descriptive of sin and light is descriptive of righteousness. And it's as if all the sin of the world was coming upon that hill called Calvary and was coming upon Jesus. And then, after three hours of darkness, out of the darkness came a cry. That cry was, Eli, Eli, lama sabachnathai. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, why have you abandoned me? That Greek word for called out is, is found only here in the New Testament. It literally means to scream. It's as though the translators could not get themselves to translate it like it was written in Greek. Of all the translations that I have of the New Testament, none of them translate this word for what it means. Scream. I think it's because they just simply couldn't put down that Jesus was screaming in anguish. And I believe Jesus was screaming in utter horror. R.C. Sproul called this the scream of the damned. All of the physical pain that Jesus went through did not cause him to scream. He was beaten, and he did not open his mouth. He was whipped, 
And he did not utter a word. A crown of thorns was thrust upon his head and he remained silent. The nails were hammered into his feet and into his hands and yet no word came out of his mouth. And now, in this darkness, in this moment, Jesus screams out. You see, Jesus was experiencing something more painful, more horrifying than anything anyone had ever experienced before or ever will experience again. The words that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? These words were written hundreds of years before by the psalmist in Psalm 22. This is known as one of the messianic psalms. It is a prophetic psalm that tells us what the future Messiah, Jesus, would have to go through. That psalm, Psalm 22, speaks of of Jesus' life being poured out, his bones being out of joint, his strength drying up, his tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth, his bones being exposed, his garments being gambled for. We're even told in that psalm that his hands and his feet would be pierced. But the first word of that psalm were the words that Jesus screamed out from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That word forsaken was used to describe a ship that had been abandoned, deserted, left behind. It describes someone who was all alone. They had no one to comfort them. They had no one to console them. They had no one to stand with them, to stand by them. Jesus was all alone. I've seen cars that have been abandoned. I've rode by houses and buildings that have been abandoned. I've even met children and mothers who have been abandoned. But this is Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, The one who was with God, the Father, in the very beginning. The one who had been with the Father from before time began. And now he is screaming out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every other time that Jesus referred to God in the New Testament, he referred to him as Father. But not this time. This time he is screaming out to God, calling him God, my God. Something had happened. Something had changed. And as darkness covered the land and and seemed to descend on that cross, something is taking place that had never taken place before in human history and would never take place again. So what happened in that darkness? Well, I believe in those three hours, two things happened that give each and every one of us hope. First of all, the full weight of sin was placed on the shoulders of Jesus. In the midst of that eerie darkness, the full weight of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus for three hours Jesus took the sin of the world. 
Jesus, who had never committed a sin. Jesus, who was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, was now bearing all the pain, all the guilt, all the shame of all the sin for all eternity. Sins of the heart, sins of the mind, sins of the eyes, sins of the mouth, sins of the ears. All the killing, all the stealing, all the sexual sin, the lies, the gossip, the pride, the lust, the racism, the hate, all of that came crashing down on the shoulders of Jesus. He took all of humanity's sin upon himself. I want you to listen to a few verses. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Think of that. The sinless Son of God became sin for us. When God looked down on that cross, He didn't see His Son. He saw our sin. In the Old Testament, every day, offerings were made to atone for sin. Every year there was a Passover offering that was made to atone, to cover up sin. And yet here we're told that Jesus became sin for each and every one of us. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. In the Old Testament, when, when Passover occurred, we know about the Passover lamb, but there was another offering that took place. You, you see, one one. Lamb, one goat, was sacrificed that, that took the sins. But then there was another lamb, there was another goat. That symbolically the sins of the people were placed on that goat, that lamb. And that goat, that lamb was led out of the community into the wilderness to be all by itself. Every year they would do that. Leviticus 16 tells us of that. One lamb, one goat, was slain. Another lamb, another goat, was led out with the sins of all the people to live in isolation, to be in exile, to die all by themselves. Jesus Christ, when he was on that cross, all of our sins, just like on that goat, were placed on Jesus. 1 Peter 2 he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross that we can be dead to sin and alive for what is right. By his wounds we have been healed. The sins we've committed, the shame that we have carried, all of that was placed in the body of Jesus. I, I believe that when that sin came crashing down on Jesus, Jesus experienced the agony. He experienced the hurt. He experienced the guilt. He experienced the shame of every sin you've committed. Every sin I've committed. Every sin that has ever been committed in all of human history. Galatians 3 
verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. Jesus took the curse of sin upon himself. Someone said it like this. I couldn't say it any better. They said, imagine that someone, somewhere in the universe there is a cesspool containing all the sins that have ever been committed. The cesspool is deep, dark, and indescribably foul. All the evil deeds that men and women have ever done are floating there. Imagine that a river of filth constantly flows into the cesspool, replenishing the vile mixture with all the evil done every day. Now imagine that while Jesus was on the cross, that cesspool is emptied onto him. See the flow of filth as it settles upon him. The flow never seems to stop. It is vile, toxic, deadly, filled with disease, pain, and suffering. Think of it. All the lust in the world was there. All the broken promises were there. All the murders, all the killings, all the hatred between people. All the theft was there, all the adultery, all the pornography, all the drunkenness, all the bitterness, all the greed, all the gluttony, all the drug abuse, all the crime, all the cursing, every vile deed, every wicked thought, every vain imagination. All of it was laid upon Jesus when he hung on that cross. No wonder the land became dark. As all of the sin... All of the wickedness of all humanity, past, present, and future, came pouring down upon Jesus. But not only did Jesus take the full weight of sin on his shoulders, the Bible tells us that for the first and only time in eternity, God the Father was separated from God the Son. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like God had abandoned you? Have you ever felt like God turned his back on you? That he didn't care about what you were going through? I imagine that there have been times that many of us in this room have filled that way. But I want you to know that God has never abandoned you. God has never abandoned anyone in human history. That is, until Jesus. You see, Jesus became the first human being who was completely forsaken by God. Jesus knew what it was to be forsaken by man. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own received him not. Jesus knew what it was to be forsaken by his, by his earthly family. His family thought he was crazy. Jesus knew what it was to be forsaken by his disciples. Every one of them deserted him in the garden. One denied him, another betrayed him. But here is Jesus being forsaken by his Father. For all eternity, the Father and the Son had been one. It was an eternal relationship of knowing and being known, loving and being loved. 
He was the son who utterly lived for his father. And his father utterly delighted in his son. Yet at this moment in human history, because of a plan that had been made long before Jesus became sin for us. He went to the cross. So that instead of forsaking us, the Father forsook His Son. The Father poured out His wrath on Jesus. Martin Luther, the Catholic priest who who ushered in the Reformation when he came to that realization that we are saved by grace through faith, was at his desk studying the book of Matthew. And we are told that when he came to this passage and he came to this phrase, he sat there in silence at his desk for hours as if he were dead. And finally, after sitting there for hours, he said, God, forsaken by God, how can it be? Now let me say, it is far above my ability to be able to fully explain what happened that day. But I think to say anything but what the Scripture says is to do disservice to what Jesus went through that day. In that dark moment on the cross, the Father turned His back on His Son. The Father rejected His only begotten Son. Throughout eternity, the Father and the Son had been co-eternal, co-existent, and co-equal. Nothing had ever come between them. But for a brief moment in eternity, the fellowship between the Father and the Son was broken. And Jesus was all alone. Jesus was bearing all of our sins upon himself. What we deserved to be forsaken by God because of our sin, Jesus took upon himself. You see, when God looked down on his son, he didn't see his son. He saw every sin that had ever been committed and every sin that would ever be committed. And the father had to look away, to separate himself from that sin. The father turned his back on his son so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on us. And Jesus was temporarily separated from the Father so that you and I could be forever united with the Father. Because of our sin, because of His love, Jesus experienced separation from God. And that's what hell ultimately is. Hell is to be separated from God. And for a moment, for three hours in time, because all of that sin came upon the shoulders of Jesus, the eternal Son was separated from the eternal Father. And in that anguish, in that agony, in that horror, that can only be experienced by someone who has experienced hell. 
he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so we could be forgiven. Now, there are two important truths we need to take home. First of all, we must never minimize the horror of our sin. Sin is no joking matter. Uh, Occasionally, we will sin against God, and, and we will say something like, well, it wasn't really a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Your white lie is a big deal. You're looking at pornography on the internet is a big deal. You stealing from your place of employment, however small that theft may be, is a big deal because the wages of sin is death. Death results in hell and Jesus experienced hell for us. But second, We must never minimize the awful cost of our salvation. Our salvation costs God His Son. It costs the life of His Son. And it costs both of them a separation that had never happened before and never will happen again. So listen very carefully. If God did not spare His own Son who became sin, then how do you think God is going to spare you if you reject his son? You see, God's holiness demands payment for sin. Sin has to be dealt with. The wrath of God demands it. God is also loving. He is so loving that the Father and the Son agreed together in eternity past to do the unthinkable so that we could be forgiven. God created us with a free will which He knew would result in sin. He created us that way because we can never truly love unless we can choose not to love. And God wanted us to love him like he loves us. So he created us in a way that would cost him everything. But the father and the son decided to do it. Because they wanted a people who would become a part of his family. You see, sin is awful. Sin is terrible. The price of our salvation is beyond our comprehension. But God the Father, God the Son, chose to do it because they love us. Now what are we going to do? During that three-hour period, the full weight of the sin of the world came crashing down upon Jesus. And during that three-hour period, God the Son experienced hell, separation from the Father, because He loves us. 
He paid the price for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. So what have you done with it? Well, there are some of you here today. It's obvious. It's apparent. You've understood the sacrifice. You've understood the love. You've humbled yourself before Jesus and you've given him your life. There are others of you. You've gone through the motions. You know the facts. But the reality of what happened in that darkness has never changed your life. You're not living any different than you did before you prayed a prayer and you got dunked in water. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus changes everything. Then there are some of you. You've never even attempted to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never understood what Jesus did. Maybe you haven't cared what Jesus did. But I'm here today begging you. Humble yourself before God. And meet Him as a loving Savior, not a righteous judge. Because He gave His all so that you could be forgiven. And so if you're here, and what Jesus went through in that darkness, the price that He paid for you has not changed your life, then I want to encourage you to give your life to Him today. I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. With your head bowed with your eyes closed. This is a holy moment. This is a serious moment. If you're here and you need to really humble yourself before God, ask Him to forgive you, trust Him to save you, and then surrender your life to Him, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to Him right now. Dear God, forgive me. I am a sinner. I've been living life my way. I've never really understood what my sin did to you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm so ashamed. God, I know you love me. Father, you gave your son so I could be forgiven. Jesus, you freely gave your life so I could be forgiven. Forgive me. Save me. Make me new. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. Amen.